excited. We're doing this series. I think we might have one more installment here in a couple of weeks. This series called Yes. And we're just talking about living in response. And we, you know, we did a series uh, a couple months ago, uh, started a couple series a couple months ago called Lover and just talking about God's love for us. But how many know that we can just sit around and we go, yeah, God loves me. God loves me. But God is looking for response to that love. Come on. And, and that's what we want to be. We want to people that are living in response. And we don't just have a knowledge, but we have, we have a function. Are you with me? And that function would be a response that we're not living in, in reaction to life. We're not living in reaction to difficulties, to circumstances, to bad behaviors of others. Come on, we're living in response to Jesus. We're living in response uh, to our Heavenly Father. So this is kind of what we've been talking about. And Second uh, Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth. One translation says, True and fro the whole earth in order to strengthen those who, whose hearts are fully committed towards him. So God is looking for people that have a yes in their heart. Come on, he is looking for people that just say yes. He's not looking for, for qualified people. He's not looking for perfect people. He's not looking for uh, extremely devout people. He's looking for people that say yes in their hearts. Their hearts say yes, and then he knows that he will strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed towards him, that when their hearts are in response to him, then their life will follow. Are you guys with me? So we've been talking about that, and then we know that Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 63, that my words are spirit, and they are life. And then in this story, when Jesus was telling this story, some of the disciples started leaving him, right? They were like, oh man, see you, Jesus. We can't really take this. Some of the things that you're saying are, are difficult for us to understand. We don't really like what you're saying. We're not finding life in what you're saying. And then he said, listen, the words that I speak are spirit and life. And then he said, are you guys going to leave like everyone else? And then Peter spoke up and he said, Lord, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. We want to live our lives, Jesus, in response to what you said, in response to the life that you have promised us. And so we've been talking a lot in this series about yes, but listen, yes, the, the response of yes in our life will always cost us a no. Our yes will always cost us a no. It will always require us to say no to something else. Are you guys with me? And so if you came to me and you said, Josh, do you want cheesecake or do you want chocolate cake? I would have to say no to one of those. I couldn't. Actually, I probably could have both. But I would, it would, there would be a, if, if I could only have one, then I would have to say no to the other. Are you with me? So God lays in our lives choices. We can say yes to this or no to this. But in order to say yes to the life that God has provided, we must say no to the life that we want to provide for ourselves. Come on, are you with me? So the yes always requires a no to something else. And some of us, we don't like no, right? Our culture doesn't like no. We want yes. We want all-you-can-eat buffets of life. But it doesn't work like that. Life is not an all-you-can-eat buffet. You must choose chocolate or cheesecake or chocolate cheesecake if that's on the menu that day. So so God's menu for life isn't an all-you-can-eat buffet. It is an all-you-can-eat buffet, but you have to say no to a different buffet. Are you with me? And so th this buffet offers different things. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. It says, One day Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon, who we also call Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called them. He said, Come follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. So they left their nets at once and followed him. 
A little further up the shore, he, ta- he, he saw two other people, two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them too, and they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. So here's Jesus, right? The picture of Jesus picking his crew of followers, right? Looking just like he was in the Old Testament and we see in, in, in the scripture from Second Chronicles. He said, listen, I'm looking for people who will say yes. I'm looking for followers, people that will, that will follow me. So he goes up and we know there's Peter and Andrew, right? And he says, come on, come follow me. And we saw that they left their life of fishing. They, they had to say no, to the fishing for fish, to say yes to the fishing for men. Are you with me? So since they left, listen, you got to understand something. When they left their net, it wasn't like they left like a couple of bucks on the table. They were leaving everything. They were living, leaving their livelihood. These were guys, we don't know if they owned a boat or not. Maybe they weren't that far in their career yet. Maybe they were starting off fishermen and all they had was a couple of nets. And so what they were doing is they were saving up their money so they could eventually buy a boat. We don't really know about this story. Maybe they had to rent a boat, but we do know that they own nets. But in order to follow Jesus, and in order to follow what Jesus was asking of them, they had to leave their nets behind. They couldn't be still a fisher of fish and a fisher of men. They had to decide at this moment, am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to keep doing what I've been doing? Then he walks down the shore a little further, and we see that these guys did have a boat. This was uh, the, the sons of Zebedee, right? James and John. And here they are. They're, they're, they're sorting through their nets. And then Jesus says, hey, will you guys follow me? And it says that they left their boat and their father behind. That they left their livelihood. They left the career. They left life as they knew it to follow Jesus for a better life. But how many of you know that the yes required the no? I remember in, um, in 1982, and today we're talking about yes means no. Yes means no. Some of you guys are with me. We know that yes means no sometimes, right? In 1982, I was, I was little daddy back then. I'm big daddy now, but I was little daddy back then in 1982. And uh, Ronald Reagan was president, and his wife, Nancy Reagan, launched this campaign called Just Say No. Was anybody alive during that time? Uh, no, a lot of you were not alive. How many of y'all have heard of Just Say, the Just Say No campaign? So they had these shirts. They were green or they were white, and they had this logo right here that said Just Say No. And Nancy Reagan, this was the war on drugs that they were going in in the 1980s and, and through the 90s. It was a Just Say No campaign. And I remember kids at school had Just Say No shirts, and, you know, people were just saying no to drugs, right? This was the war on drugs. The war on drugs was a no, right? And uh, some people were winning the war on drugs. Others of us weren't. And um, <laughs> we were just saying something. We were just saying yes. But in order, <laughs> so they, they had this, this whole campaign to just say no. The problem with the campaign is in the 90s, it just kind of fizzled and died. Why? Because there was a no, but there wasn't a yes, we weren't giving them something else. We weren't giving them substance. We were just taking something away. Come on, are you with me? But in this life, in what God is calling us to, there is a no. And we've been focusing on the yes in this whole series. But I want to talk today about four necessary no's in our total response to Jesus. Some things that we're just going to have to say no to 
in order to say yes to Jesus? How many of y'all want what's best for your life? Well, if you want what's best, then you have to say no to what's not best. You have to say no to the good life in order to say yes to the best life. Come on, are you with me? And so, everything, all all the decisions that we make in our life, we have to say no to some things. Come on, are you with me? We don't like to say no. It's difficult, right? I mean, so many of us are yes men, right? We just want to say yes to everything. We want to make everybody happy. We just want to please everybody. But how many know you can't do that? Come on, are you with me? You just can't please everybody. I've tried most of my life trying to please everybody. I'm, I'm kind of a, that my nature is to be a people pleaser. And so I've tried most of my life just to make people happy. But I found whenever I try to make that my goal that I end up very frustrated. Come on, are you with me? Now, when we please God, we will bring pleasure to people. But that the, the, our goal is not to bring pleasure to people. Our goal is to bring pleasure to God. And when we live out of that, people will find enjoyment in our life. Are you with me? But we can't just, and, and we, listen, and, but we also don't live life to say no to people and be real negative. Well, I'm serving God. Well, serving God means loving people, right? It's not necessarily pleasing people, but it doesn't mean loving them. And not harsh love, what we call love. Well, I'm showing you because I love you. Right? How many of you know that it's important for people to experience God's love, not just to be told about it? I'm just telling you because I love you. Right? Word? So just say no. Let's talk about just saying no. Four necessary no's. Number one, we got to say no to the forbidden. The things that God tells us to say no to. Did you know that, that all of Christianity is not just a bunch of yeses? That those yeses cost you something. And when we talk about the forbidden, we're talking about sin. We're talking about wickedness. We're talking about carnality. I could give you a list, but you already know the list pretty well, right? The things that we battle at, right? The things that we're like, oh, I want to say no to that, but it's got a hold in my life, Right? It's kind of like we're a coffee mug and we're like, we're containing all what God has for us, but it's like we've got this handle on our life, right? Like a coffee mug has a handle and it's like the enemy just kind of dragging us around with that handle, right? And so what God wants to do is just break the handle off. Come on. And so he wants to break those things off of your life. And this is why he's given us grace. Not just to say, this is who I am. I have a handle. God just likes me like this. No, God wants to break that off of your life. He don't want it there. He, he don't want it there more than you don't want it there. Are you with me? Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So the grace that we were saved by also, it says right here, it teaches us to say no. Everybody say no. Now, now say no like you're telling your kids no, right? No. Right? No. Right? 40 times the answer is no. The question might change, but the answer will not. The answer is no. Right? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. These are the forbidden things. And to live self-controlled. So we can say yes to self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. The glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us, get this, to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do 
what is good. God wants you to be eager to do what is good. Are you guys with me? He wants that passion in us to, to live upright, godly lives. In order for that to happen, we've got to have the grace that teaches us to say no. And we know that grace is, is, is not the great cover-up. Grace is the great escape. It's not the great cover. It's not just so I can live my life however I want. And they go, well, it's just all under grace. It's just all, God loves me. That's unchanging. We know that. But the grace is not just to cover you. But it's to remove those things in your life. It's, 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 to, it's so you can escape the sin that so easily jacks you up. Come on. So don't just go around because you're weak and go, oh, I got the grace of God. I got the grace of God. He's just kind of overlooking, kind of batting his eye, kind of winking a little bit at my sin. No, 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 no. God don't wink at sin ever. He don't wink on the sin before Christ, and he don't wink, wink at the sin you commit after Christ. He don't wink at sin. He gives you grace to empower you to live a life free of sin, which is what it teaches us right here, to redeem us from wickedness. So grace came to bring you out of wickedness, not cover your wickedness up, but to remove it. Are you with me? Uh, grace empowers. You know, there's, there's this kind of this, uh, you know, the, the kind of this weird teaching on grace going around the body of Christ. Listen, grace empowers. Grace empowers you to live godly, not empower you to, to continue in sin. If you feel okay living in sin, then it's not grace that you're functioning in. Grace says, I don't like this. I hate this. So what scripture teaches us to say no. Scripture teaches us to, to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good. Grace teaches us to hate sin, especially in our own lives. Come on. It's easy to hate the sin in somebody else's life. Maybe you don't need to be doing that. So you need to hate their sin, but maybe you need to be focusing more on your love and your affections for them. Not focusing on the little issues because you've got issues. It's easy to project on someone our insecurities in Jesus, right? Listen, you will have temptation to sin. All of us will have temptation. We're not defined by our temptations. Are you with me? But listen, you will also have the grace to say no to it. You will also have the grace to say no to it. Your yes requires obedience. Requires. If you want to say yes to God, that requires obedience. Right? If I told my son to go mow the grass, which I wouldn't do because he's six, but probably next week. <laughs> How many know that he could tell me yes and I go to his room and play and the job doesn't get done? That's not obedience. No matter what he said, no matter what his intentions were, a total yes requires obedience. And, you know, so many of us want peace in our lives. We want to function in peace, but we don't want the obedience part. The obedience brings the peace. Are you with me? Labor in God brings peace. Oh, God just, God just gives us rest. You know, it's just all rest because of the cross. There is rest, but that rest is found in, found in obeying him. That's where that rest is found. Rest is found in peace, and peace is found in obedience. So peace is found in your yes to God. Yes, God, I'm just responding. It's so much easier to live obedient to God. It really is. It is so much easier just to live obedient to God and just say, yeah, God, whatever you want, man. I'm, I'm totally surrendered to you. We don't, we don't cause so much trouble, right? Our relationships with people seem to be easier, the people that we love. 
Sometimes relationships get hard, and sometimes the, the, there's not peace outside of our lives because of our yes to Jesus, but we have peace with God. It changes nothing of his approval and his desire for you, but it definitely changes your heart. It definitely makes you okay. So, just say no to the forbidden. Just say no to wickedness. Number two. This is a tough one right here. Number two is permissible distractions. We've got to say no to permissible distractions. So, well, Josh, what are permissible distractions? Listen, permissible distractions are things that are not necessarily sinful, but they get, out, get in the way of us being kingdom-first people. Right? You're like, well, God, will, God doesn't really have a problem with that. God, God doesn't have a problem with me doing this. God doesn't have a problem with me doing that. Listen, did you know the enemy of great is good? Did you know the friend of complacency is okay? When will we get ambitious for pleasing Jesus? I remember uh, there was a guy that used to come to our, our student ministry, and his name was Yeti, and uh, he, he was such a cool kid. And I remember, man, he was like really serving Jesus fervently one day, and, and uh, I don't know, thinking that he got it totally right in what he said, but I loved his heart behind it. And I said, man, aren't you going to go with everybody to see this movie? And it wasn't even a bad movie. It was just like a movie. And he's like, man, I, I'm just not going to go. I'm like, man, why not? You know, and I was just kind of proud of him. Why aren't you going to go? Why aren't you going to you know, go see that movie? Why aren't you going to see that movie? You know, I was like, why aren't you going to go, bro? And he was like, uh, he's like, oh, oh man. He's like, I just don't want to do anything that would displease the Lord. And listen, I'm not going to get into the theology of whether his perspective was right, because I, I really personally don't think that it was right. I don't think God, heaven was going to be moved so bad. But what I do think made heaven very happy is his heart. That he said, man, I don't want to do anything to kind of screw up my heart in loving God. I want my affections to be totally on him. So a lot of times there's things in our lives that are permissible, that aren't necessarily wicked, that still don't benefit us. And so what we do is we quote the scripture right here, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. We say everything is permissible. And then we leave out the next part. It says, but not everything is beneficial. So why do we want to do things that are just permissible if they're not going to bless us? If they're not going to help us, if they're not going to bring encouragement to me, if they're not going to advance the kingdom of God, why do I want to say yes? Because when I say yes to something, I'm saying no to something else. Got quiet in here. But not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. We've really tried to live our lives in a way that would say that we could be as blameless as we could. We're not blameless people, but we've said we've, we want to live as blameless as we can. We want to make sure that our, 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 that our character is never a loophole for someone else to bail out on Jesus or to bail out on holiness. Why? Because, yeah, I could probably get away with some things. I could probably ride the fence. God probably doesn't really have a problem with me doing those things. But the reality is, is those things really don't benefit the kingdom, and they don't really benefit me, and they don't really benefit my yes. In fact, whenever I say yes to these things that are kind of stagnant and stale and idle in my life, then what happens is I'm saying no to something that's exhilarating. I'm saying no to something that is beneficial. So when we say yes to just the permissible, yeah, we're saying no to the thing that's greater. Are you guys with me today? It's quiet.
All right. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. I love this passage of Scripture. I'm reading this uh, from the NLT. It says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Listen, we're not going to get into legalism and give you a list. Listen, every weight that slows us down. Instead of going, God, what can I get away with? We should be going, God, what can I get rid of? What weight can I take off so I can be more focused on Jesus, so I can be more focused on the kingdom? What's going to benefit? Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. So absolutely the sin, but every weight. And let us run with endurance the race God has set for us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So we've, we've talked about kind of behavior, right? Behaviors, the things, the choices that we make, the, these things. And I, I want to kind of switch gears a little bit more, not so much on the things that we're doing, but more the attitude of our heart, the identity that we are. For these last two points. How many know that you are not your own? It says in First uh, Corinthians chapter uh, six, verse nineteen. It says, "You are not your own. You have been bought with a price." Right? Your life, when you've come to Jesus, your life is in Him. It's in Him. He is our life. He's not just like a portion of our life, right? Like a Sunday type activity. Jesus isn't just a quiet time that we spend. No, 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 no. no. Jesus is our life. Our life is centered around this man who is fiery affection for us. He is our life. This is our identity. Our identity is in him. I mean, it's like, it's like you're, you know, you're on your Twitter. If you have a Twitter account, like you have a few words that you can describe yourself. Jesus, he is my life, right? That's like, that should be like the main description of all of us. And if you don't have that on your Twitter or whatever, that's not the point. The point is he is the thing that's on our tombstone. It was all about Jesus. It was really all about him. He is our life. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to all of them, if anyone wants to come follow me or come with me, he must deny himself. How many of y'all hate that? He must deny himself, pick up his cross every day and keep following me. So Jesus is saying that it's daily. It's daily. And keep following me. I mean, it's it's not a decision for a moment. It's a decision for a lifetime. It's an eternal decision. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What profit will a person have if he gains the whole world yet destroys himself or is lost or forfeits his own soul? That word deny, if you look it up in the Greek, I didn't write the Greek word out because I didn't want to look like a fool trying to pronounce it. It means to deny utterly, to disown, to disown. Jesus said to disown yourself. So what we do is we come to Jesus with our weakness and we say, well, this is who I am. Jesus said, disown that guy. Denied, right? You guys know like basketball, like when someone's going up for a slam and they're like, and they're not going to, denied. 
That's the way we need to be in our lives whenever we're living for ourselves and we're living for our carnality. And we come up and we say, well, I deserve this. I'm entitled to this. Boom, denied. When that flesh, that carnal, that prideful spirit starts rising up, we just need to go, denied. You have no right here. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. My passion is Jesus. My gaze is set. Denied. Sucker. Step down. When we came to Jesus, we had to disown our life. The whole, the, the whole crux of the gospel is that I am not good enough. Everybody's talking about, oh, it's just the way I am. It's just my way. I was born with this. I was born with that. Yeah, how many know that you're born sinful? It's called the sinful nature. It's called carnality. Jesus said, deny it. Deny it and follow me. Do what I'm doing. Be like I am. Y'all all right? Listen, he has the real thing. When you deny yourself, when you say, no, Jesus has something better. When you say no to what you want, Jesus has something better. Always has something better. Through your fears, through your insecurities, there's always something better. Jesus always has something better. Denied. What God has is better. Following Jesus is better. It might not be the safest thing to do. But it's the best thing to do. Denied. Boom shakalaka. You guys ever play NBA Jam? <laughs> Boom shakalaka. I don't think they ever said denied, but that would have been cool if they did. Denied. denied. <laughs> On fire. Denied. So, these two pride issues I want to talk about. Number three, the no that we have to say what we have to say no to is self-advancing. Self-advancing, self-promoting, overconfidence, being your own biggest fan. All this talk about you and you're so great and you can do this and you can accomplish this. All this like self-empowerment that our world is full of. Talking about loving yourself. Talking about self-improvement. Even Christian bookstores. That's like the biggest books. How to improve self. I'm going to write a book called How to Deny Yourself. Because that's where true life is found. True life is found is not when I say yes to myself, but it's when I say yes to Jesus. Loving yourself. Believe in yourself. Our kids said that one time where I said, I can do anything if I can just believe in myself. Disney did such a good job programming my daughter. It's only deprogrammed Disney for a minute. It's like, baby, you can do anything that God has designed you to do if you live your life in Jesus. Don't give me this fairy tale garbage. You can do whatever. Listen, I'm six foot two, almost 40 years old, 200 and mm, close to 20 pounds, somewhere around there. I can't play basketball through Christ who gives me strength. Come on, no matter how many scriptures you put on it, it ain't going to happen. You know, that's taking that scripture way out of context. I can do what God's called me to do and designed me to do. Maybe that was the ambition for my life, but that was not God's ambition for me. He didn't equip me that way. He didn't build me for that. 
He might have built you for that. That's awesome. I'll be right there cheering because he built me for that. Come on. Right? Passion on the sideline. But it is not about us. It is not about the self-advancing. We talk so much about self-esteem, having a high self-esteem. Listen, I think it's more important for you to have an accurate self-esteem. Better yet, it's better for you to have a Christ-centered esteem. It's not about us. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For the grace has been given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Hmm. But rather, give to yourself with sober judgment. <laughs> I've known some people in my life that need some sober judgment of themselves and their abilities and their function. In accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. We don't need confidence. We need Godfidence. Right? We, need, we need to place our confidence in Jesus you need Christ-centered esteem, not self-esteem. I'm not going to write that book. You, there's somebody out there that wrote it, can preach it a lot better than I can. Philippians chapter 2. Man, it's quiet in here. Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. How much? Nothing. Nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility considers others better than yourself. Each of you should not look to your own interest, but also the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And if you read on, it said he became the very nature of a servant. God. <laughs> becoming like, it's like you becoming a peanut. <laughs> right? It's like God became a man. Jesus did not consider equality with God something of importance. He did not consider it something to be grasped. He wasn't like, here I am, everybody. God on the scene. I'm Jesus, the Messiah you've been waiting for. Bow to me. Right? <laughs> right? No. He became like a man. Like you becoming a peanut, really. It's like, this probably more vivid illustrations I could give, but I won't. I've found that people that put Jesus first and others second live the most fulfilling lives. The most people that I've seen that are most fulfilled, that have the most joy in their life, that experience life at the highest degree are those that put Jesus first and others second. It's just the way that it is. It's just the way that it is. When we get our priorities straight, it seems like our happiness, it seems like our pleasure, it seems like our peace, all those things just seem to line up. But what I found is that people that are always just trying to figure out how to improve themselves and their self-image, they're the ones that struggle the most with those issues. Because they're looking to find themselves in themselves. When you don't find yourself in yourself, you find yourself through Jesus. That's the lens we look through. And listen, there's a huge difference between taking care of yourself and putting yourself first. You got you to take care of you. You got to do it for you. How much of that garbage are we hearing? So much of it. Listen, I'm not saying that there's not a balance of that. You need rest. Come on, you need to do things that are pleasurable. Are you with me? But you do not put yourself first. That is not the way to life. This is not the life that Jesus taught us. Jesus said we put ourselves last. That the last shall be first. So... 
the self-advancing, we've got to say no to it. Listen, if you promote yourself, who else is going to promote you? If you're continually patting yourself on the back, then nobody else is going to be able to do that. So when you say yes to this, then nobody else has the opportunity to do it. When you walk around honoring yourself, then somebody else can't honor you. And not only are you robbing yourself of true honor and filling yourself with pride, you're also robbing somebody else of the opportunity to honor you. No will. Number four, self-doubting. Now, self-advancing and self-doubting are really the same thing. It's just me-centered. It's very pride-centered. Self-doubting. Listen, God's best for you is not limited by your capabilities, your qualification, your education, your experience, your history. It's based in his capabilities. It's all based in his capabilities. It's not about it's not about how awesome you are that God wants to use you. I, I, man, I've been in ministry a long time, and we look at people that are, like, gifted and all this kind of stuff. Man, God could use them so much, man. So-and-so. Man, could you imagine if that guy got saved? How many of you know that it, it has nothing to do with human ability? It has nothing to do with human-born leadership? Listen, God will use those things, and he probably put those, some of those things in you to be used. But listen, God isn't looking for people that are qualified. He's looking for people that say yes. If you look through scripture, it's, it's the guys that got picked last. It was David who was out about herding sheep. And his, his own dad, his own dad said, oh, I have another son. When Samuel the prophet said, I'm looking for the next king. And he's, he's supposed to be, be your son. And where is he? Where is he? He looks at all of his kids. He's like, this isn't the one. This is the one. He said, well, I got one more boy. But he's, you know, he's, just out, he's just out working with the sheep like he always does. He's just this little redheaded ginger kid out there. And he's just kind of playing out there. with you, you don't want anything to do with him. He's like, you need to bring me this boy. You need to bring me this boy. And this is, this is the line that Jesus came from was through the line of David. Not through one who was qualified, but one who was willing. One that God could shine through. When it's Moses who's out running from his calling. When it's Moses who's out hiding out in a remote location that God shows up and says, you're the one that I want. So it's not about our qualification or how good we are, or how experienced or educated. It's our willing. Yeah, God, I'll, I'll do it. Even sometimes when that willing is no at first and it's reluctant, but say, God, I'll, I'll do it. That's what he's looking for. He didn't choose you because you can. He chose you because he can through you. I said he didn't choose you because you can. He chose you because he can through you. So don't disqualify yourself. That is also a form of pride. I can't do it. Well, it's not all about you. Awesome. I can do it. Well, it's not about you. Right? Come on, sober judgment. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. We are confident of all this. Because of our great trust in God through Christ. What does our confidence rely, rely upon? Trust in God. Trust. Listen, our confidence does not come from our abilities or our qualifications or how many initials are before our name. It is based in trust. That's what qualifies us. Our trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified 
to do anything on our own, our qualification comes from God. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks you were born on. Come on. Who your parents were, whether you're raised in church. He has enabled us to be ministers of this new covenant. He's in, you're a minister. How many other Christians you serve? Jesus, you're a minister. And it's not because someone else has wrote a piece of paper, a certificate with your name on it. It's because God qualified you. Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, you have been raised to life with Christ. Keep focusing on the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and keep your mind on things that are above, not the things on the earth. For you have died. You have died and been denied. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Listen, God's not saying you're denied. You got to say you're denied. Denied. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden in him. It's hidden. The focus is Jesus. It's not your issues. It's not your struggles. Albert, you want to come up? The focus of identity, who are we, is found in Jesus. It's not found in what we do. It's not found in our career path. It's not found on, on, on the spouse that we choose. It's not, it's not found in any of these things. It's found in Jesus, only in Jesus. The focus of our identity is in Jesus. And the focus of our purpose is in the kingdom. No matter what your job is, you are heaven's ambassador. It is all about Jesus, this whole series, all about Jesus, all about his kingdom, all about saying yes. Despite our pride, despite our abilities and how awesome we are, or despite how unawesome we are and how underqualified we are, your position is in him.